Welcome to the sermon podcast of Southside Baptist Church, a body of Christ located in beautiful Norman Park, Georgia. We are so glad you chose to listen in today. It's our prayer you would find the message of Jesus Christ compelling and uplifting, and that your life would be changing continually from hearing the Word of God. If you would like more information about our church or would like more digital content, please feel free to check us out on the web at southsidenp.org. And now for today's message. The letter of the Apostle Paul to the church there in Ephesus. We're going to continue in our study there in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be reading from... We're going to be, the, the focal passage is going to be 4 through 10, but I want to start reading back in in verse 1 to kind of give us some, some context, particularly for those who may not have been here uh, last week. The title of the message uh, this morning is this, But God, But God. So if you found that passage in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 1, would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's holy, infallible, and inspired word this morning. Paul writes this to the church there in Ephesus. He says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Father God, we come to you again thanking you, Lord, for this opportunity to hear from your holy word, hear from your holy scriptures, Lord, the authority that we need to live our lives by. Father, the, 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 the God, word of God provides for salvation. Lord, it gives us the way to be saved. And Father, we thank you for that. And Father, we see a glimpse of that today in our passage from the Apostle Paul. Lord, I, I pray that as we walk through a scripture this morning, that we understand the reality that salvation has nothing to do with us and everything to do with you. Father, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Now, I'm not a big commercial fan, uh, but there are certain commercials that I'll watch and, and they're funny, they're, they're intriguing, or they're, 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 they're whatever they might be. And one of those commercials are the uh, TurboTax commercials. And if you've seen those commercials, one in particular, it's a, an auctioneer and the guy's sitting up there and in front of him is a, is a, uh, a bunch of cows and they're auctioning off those cows. And so this auctioneer goes, and you know how auctioneers' voices are, and he's starting his his spill, and he's a free, 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 free. And you got these guys out there, they're throwing their hands up and all these other things and casting bids, and all he keeps saying is free, 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 you know, free, 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 free. And then he finally says, going once, going twice, he says, sold, free. The point of that whole thing is, is TurboTax is advertising their free edition of TurboTax. And so I would imagine to play a little game that many of us like to get free stuff. In fact, I'd like to play a little game uh, this morning, if you would. And this requires audience participation. All right. So by a show of hands, who in here likes to get free stuff? 
Okay? All right. Uh, Jana, would you come up, please? All right. Jana said she raised her hand and she likes to get free stuff. So I'm going to give Jana $20 this morning. There you go. Enjoy. <laughs> I know you do, but you weren't chosen. <laughs> uh, so we all like to get stuff. We all like to get stuff free. We all like free gifts. That gifts are not given because of something that we have done. Janet didn't do anything. All Janet did was says, I like free gifts and I raised my, and she raised her hand. And so the gift is given from the giver to the one who gets the gift with no strings attached. And I want to remind you that salvation is the same way. Salvation is a free gift. Given from the giver, and that is God, to us with no strings attached. All we have to do is accept the gift that God is offering. And so Paul is, is in it by way here in these passages 4 through 10 is, is basically contrasting. I'll kind of give you a, a recap of last week. If you weren't here last week, Verses 1 through 3, Paul is basically talking about those of us who are in Christ Jesus now, the way we were prior to our salvation experience, prior to us receiving the free gift that God is offering us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Paul says you were dead in your trespasses. You were dead in your sins. You once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Basically, Paul's talking about Satan. You walked based on the course of this world, based on the course of the power that that Satan controls. He says that the spirit that is now in the work of the sons of disobedience. He says, among whom we once lived, those passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and by nature... Those who were dead in their trespasses and sins. Those who walked by the course of this world. Those who were controlled by the power. And children of wrath deserve the punishment from a just and holy God. But Paul transitions this morning. And listen, y'all, I am jacked up about this section of Scripture. Okay, can you say that jacked up in the pulpit? I just did, didn't I? But I'm excited about this passage of Scripture because this right here is where I am. This right here tells me everything I need to know about salvation, everything I need to know about what it means to be a Christian because of those first two words there in verse 4. But God. But God. So the point this morning is this, in contrast to the hopelessness of those without Christ, Paul illustrated the hope of those with Christ because, because of God's grace and his free gift of salvation. And so for us this morning, listen, if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, we have incredible hope. And that hope doesn't come from anything you and I do. The hope that you and I have comes from God Himself. It comes from God's grace. It comes from that free gift of salvation that God offers each and every one of us. Some of us have taken advantage of that gift. And so as Paul moves on here in this passage to to the Ephesians, he gives us the contrast to those we saw last week and this week. So you're going to see the ones who were hopeless without Jesus. We'll see the ones who have Christ and what that means in their condition as well. Four things this morning. I hope you have an outline because you can follow along with your outline uh, in the bulletin. Number one is this. Those with Christ go from being dead to being alive. Speaking of verses 1 through 3, the, the ESV study Bible says this. No hopeless fate looks any grimmer than that which awaits the forlorn company of mankind that marches behind the prince of the power of the air to their destruction under divine wrath. In verses 1 through 3, things looked bleak. 
Things looked desperate. But Paul goes on. It doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse 4 to share what may be two of the most prominent, two of the most important, and two of the most wonderful words in the Scripture that said. He says, but God. Anytime you see but in Scripture, something is about ready to change. could be for the worse or could be for the best. hope. But here it is for the better. And these two words offer us wonderful hope as Christians. Look at verses 4 and 5. Paul says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even, Paul says, when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Paul says, But God... He says, we were dead in our trespasses and sin, but God. We walked according to the course of this world, but God. We were enslaved by the prince of the power of the air, but God. We were sons of and daughters of disobedience, but God. We were by nature children of wrath, but God. We were hopeless and helpless, but God. Do you get the point? Paul says here, listen, it was God's work. Had nothing to do with you. Had nothing to do with me. Had nothing to do with him. He says, but God. I want to highlight three particular words in these two verses of Scripture. Love, mercy, and grace. And we're going to kind of talk about those individually. Paul says, but God, being rich in mercy, because... Of the great love which He loved us. This means it came all from God. It was brought about by God. It was for the glory of God. But when anything is for the glory of God, you need to understand something. It's for our benefit. It's for our benefit. Paul uses that term love there. That great love. It's not just love, it's great love. That speaks of that agape love. That sacrificial love. Self-sacrificial love. Love. It's the love derived from God because what? God is what? God is love. The very nature of God is love. I like to call it that 1 Corinthians chapter 13 love. But the reason God showed mercy on sinful man was because of God's love. His love propelled him to show mercy on mankind. That great love. It speaks of size. It speaks of that infinite love of God. This is something only God could do because God is love. It's His very nature. It is who He is. And we see God's love shown visibly. But in one particular place, we see the love of God, and that's the cross. Where Jesus Christ hung on that cross for me and for you. He shed His blood for me and for you. That's the epitome of God's love. You see the self-sacrificial part of that? God sacrificed His own Son. Because we deserved it? No. We didn't deserve it because God loved us. And it was that great love that God had for us. Love there in that passage, it means to regard with strong affection. God regarded us with strong affection because God loved us. We were the object of God's love. And we should be thankful for that. We should be thankful for that. And so because God loved us, the second word there we're going to notice is He showed mercy upon us. Mercy means compassion or forgiveness extended to someone who deserves punishment. So the mercy that God showed on us flows directly from His love for us. Paul says it was rich. That means it's abundantly supplied. It's abounding. But we need to understand, why did God need to show us mercy? 
Well, Paul tells us back in, in verse 3 there, we were children of what? Children of wrath. What does that mean? We were dead in our trespasses and sins. If you're here this morning and you've not accepted Christ as personal Lord and Savior, you're dead in your trespasses and sin. You will face the wrath of, the wrath of God. That's the judgment of God. And so if God had not shown us mercy, then we all would be in the same predicament. We all would face the wrath of God. But God loved us. And so He showed us mercy. I like to say we we didn't get what we deserved. We deserve death. Remember Romans chapter 6, verse 23? For the wages of sin is death. That verse goes on. But the mercy of God was a direct result of His love. And when we accepted Christ as personal Lord and Savior, we immediately went from children of wrath to children of God. Immediately. But it was because God loved us and He wanted to show mercy to us. Aren't you glad that God didn't give up on mankind? Just didn't Amen's right. Aren't you glad that in the Garden of Eden, God just didn't wash His hands of us and just say, Yeah, you're on your own? Yes, we should be. No, God didn't do that. God had a plan for all of that. Aren't you glad God didn't leave us helpless? Aren't you glad God didn't leave us with no hope? But God. But God. We didn't deserve His mercy. We didn't deserve... His love. Because of His great love, He showed mercy on us. And so what did we do to deserve God's great love? We didn't do anything to reserve to deserve God's great love. In verse 5, Paul basically resumes what he's talked about uh, previously, even when we were uh, dead in our trespasses. Romans 5, 8, Paul writes this. He says, but God shows his love for us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Well, what does that tell you? It tells me that there's nothing I can do to clean myself up. It doesn't matter how bad I am. It doesn't matter what I've done. You know, you might be saying to yourself, well, preacher, you don't know what I've done. You don't know who I've hurt. You don't know the people that I've walked all over in my life. You don't know the things that I've said and the the things that I've done. And you know what? I have no idea what you've done. But I'll tell you who does. God. And you know what He did? He loved you so much that He's going to show mercy on you. He's going to give you His Son, Jesus Christ, so that He can wash away all those things that you've done. Listen, that's celebrate. Listen, those are shouting words, church. Shouting words. It doesn't matter what you've done. Because I'll tell you this, if you try to clean yourself up, that's a works-based salvation. There's no such thing as a works-based salvation. We'll talk about that in a moment. You can't clean yourself up. God wants you to come to Him right where you are. And He'll do the cleanup. He'll chip away the old stuff. He'll chip away all those things as He works for you in your life. So there's nothing you can do. There's nothing we can do. We didn't deserve any of this. But he says we're made alive together with Christ. That's a simple statement of fact Paul makes there. This is something that's already happened. It means to make a one alive with another. We're spiritually alive. We're, we're born again, as John talks about in chapter 3 of, of his gospel. That newness of life that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 6. The new creature Paul talks about loved us. Corinthians 517. But God loved us. He showed mercy on us. And the third word there, and by grace you have been saved. What do you mean grace, preacher? What do you mean grace? Grace is unmerited favor. It means that God gave us favor. He looked favorably upon us when we did not deserve that favor. It's God giving us what we uh, do not deserve. 
And so he says, we're saved. What are we saved from? We're saved from our sin. We're saved from the deadness of the trespasses and sins. We're saved from that walk that we used to walk, the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air. We're saved from all those things because of the grace of God. One commentator says this, salvation is from sin and by love. Whose love? God's love. God's love. So when you put uh, these three keys, uh, these three key words together, love, mercy, and grace, you get a clear picture of the work of Almighty God in my salvation and your salvation. But what don't you see in this? You don't see us. You don't see us doing anything. Paul says you were dead even when you were dead in your trespasses and sins. On February the 27th, 1991, during a desert storm war, a woman by the name of Ruth Dilla received the worst call of her life. Her son, Clayton Carpenter, private first class, had stepped on a landmine and was pronounced dead. For the next three days, she grieved. No one uncomfort her. On the third day after receiving this terrible news, the phone rang. On the other end of the phone, there was a voice that said, Mom, it's me. I'm alive. At first, she thought it was a cruel joke. Of course she did. But as the conversation continued, she realized it was her son. Later, she said she laughed and cried and rejoiced because what seemed to be hopeless What seemed to be hopeless, what seemed to be a hopeless situation turned out to be the greatest day of her life. That's what the news from a graveyard can do for you when your faith is in Jesus Christ. We go from death to life. Paul writes this to the church there in Colossae. He says, uh, and you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of the flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. It has been said that the only thing dead people do is stink. Now that may be the case. But God makes us alive together with Christ. So we no longer have the stench of spiritual deadness. But the aroma of the beautiful life through Christ's glorious grace. So, oh, how wonderful to no longer be dead in our trespasses and sin, but we're now alive in Christ. And because we're alive in Christ, that leads us to our second point. Those with Christ go from being enslaved to exalted. So we go, no longer are we enslaved, uh, we go from being enslaved to exalted. Verse 6, Paul goes on, he says, And raised up with him, and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So we're no longer enslaved. We're no longer enslaved by the prince of the power of the air. We're no longer enslaved by the course of this world. No longer held captive by our sinful nature and the standards set forth by the world that we live in. We're free. Paul says we're we're free. And so salvation has a purpose for us and for God as well. We're no longer, we're not only made alive, but we're exalted, Paul says. We're raised up with Him. And not only raised up, but we're seated with Him in the heavenly places. So if you are a follower of God this morning, if you are a child of God, you've been raised up with Him. You've been raised up with, who's to Him? With Christ. You're seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. Now, you're not physically there now. Obviously, you're sitting here in Southside Baptist Church in the pew. 
But Paul says you've been lifted up with him. You've been seated with him. You've been raised up with Christ in verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So it's all for the glory of God. You've been saved. By grace. All for God's glory. So that God can be glorified. So that God could be seen in all of this. And so that we could benefit from it. Because we're not only saved, we're saved from our trespasses and sins. We're removed from that old life, that dead life. And we walk alive with Christ. But we're also raised up with Him. Exalted with Him. Man, we're we're seated with Him in the heavenly places. It speaks for all eternity. God shows His kindness to mankind by bringing uh, to Himself people. And people after people after person after person after person. To this salvation experience through Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1.3, Paul writes this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. If you are a child of God, you've been blessed. With everything in the heavenly places. Because you're a child of God. And because we're a child of God, we are the visible witness. We are the verbal witness of the immeasurable riches of God's grace. In other words, when people see us as Christians, they see the immeasurable riches of God's grace. Or they should see it. From a life who was saved, a life who was once dead and now is alive, a life who was once caught in those trespasses and sin is no longer there any longer. They see that in us. I mean, think for a moment the one who is enslaved. The shackles of that individual are placed on their hands and the shackles are placed on their feet. There's a chain that's placed that goes from the shackles on their feet to the shackles on their hands movement is hindered those shackles represent the enslaved person those shackles represent those of us who were dead in our trespasses and sin prior to our salvation experience but god god offers us to be set free from those shackles To be set free from the bondage of those shackles that that hold us captive. That sin that holds us captive. He offers freedom. He offers exaltation. God offers riches beyond the imagination. He offers riches that are found in the heavenly realms. Those heavenly riches. those, Those riches that you and I will never ever understand. But God offers those to us. He offers us a new seat. He offers us a new seat. You know, maybe you can use the analogy, God lets us ride shotgun. But that new seat is heaven. That new seat is heaven for the child of God. Philippians 3.20 But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're no longer... A slave to sin. If you are a child of God, you're no longer a slave to sin. But you're exalted. You're enthroned in the heavenly places with God Himself. So we are to live as free and exalted followers of Jesus Christ. Praising God for His loving kindness towards us. So we're alive and we're exalted. But thirdly, those with Christ are no longer objects of wrath. But we're objects of grace. Objects of grace. These two verses, verses 8 and 9, are very familiar to most of us. They're extremely important to understand in respect to our salvation. There's several things we need to consider before we actually read the verses. Number one is these two verses alone debunk the notion of works-based salvation. They reject the idea that God accepts and rejects people based on some level of goodness 
and or religious performance. Because I always ask the question, how good do you have to be? How many works do I have to do to be saved? 15, 20, 100? We cannot work our way into heaven. There's no amount of works that you can do. There's no amount of good deeds that you can do. And these two verses alone debunk that whole theory. But salvation here, Paul talks about, the entire process of salvation is from God Himself. And it is a gift of God, as Paul says. So to understand the process, we need to understand the gift. So look with me at verses 8 and 9. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not of a result of works, so that no one may boast. So Paul says, for by grace you have been saved. Again, we are the objects of God's grace. Grace there again is that unmerited favor. It's God's blessing. It's God's favor on us. It's undeserved. It's unwarranted. None of us deserve it. Grace is that gift that, that's freely given based on the kindness of God. It's the giver to the recipient who has no claim to it. So if we're saved by grace, it's not because we're good. It's not because we're deserving. It's not because I'm better than you are or you're better than me. It's not because I gave to the church or not because I gave to the poor or not because of any of those things. We're saved because of God's grace. It's all about God and not about you and not about me. But he also says we're also saved by grace through faith. Now that faith there is is confident trust and reliance upon Christ. What about Christ? What about Christ? Is what Jesus did on the cross. His finished work on the cross. It's, it's the only means by which one can obtain salvation. So it's not about being good enough to be saved. It's not about doing a good enough deeds or doing the most deeds. Faith is simply casting an unworthy, our unworthy selves on the mercy of a kind and forgiving and gracious God. That's what salvation is. But sometimes there's the thought here when you read this passage that there's two different things here, two separate activities that are occurring here. Some would say that, okay, for by grace, which is God's part of salvation, you and I are saved through faith, which is our part of salvation. That's not what Paul's talking about here. That's not what Paul is saying. And we see that when we read uh, the second part of verse 8. He said, and this, the key there is that word this. What is Paul talking about? What is this? Well, this is the whole process of salvation. It's that gift that he talks about in the latter part of that verse. This refers to the grace of you have been saved through faith. It's the whole entire process of salvation. It is a gift of God. That gift is both grace and faith. And those gifts come from God. And so God gives us faith. God gives us that faith. What we do with that faith is where we come in. So you're granted faith. And that faith gives you the opportunity to say, Yes, Lord, I accept your grace. I'm thankful for your grace. And I accept Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. By faith, I'm going to do that. But we can also say, God has given me this faith. I know God has given me this faith. But you know what? I'm going to reject every bit of that. So God gives us enough faith to accept Christ as personal Lord and Savior. But He also gives us enough faith to say, you know what, I'm not going to accept it. So the faith that God gives us, the faith that God gifts us, 
we have the opportunity to say yes or no to Jesus. So both are a gift from God. Romans 12, 3, Paul says, For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So faith and grace. So grace is a gift. Faith is also a gift of God given to each of us. And so we use that and do with that what we so choose. Stories told of a man who came eagerly but late to a revival meeting and found the workmen were tearing down the tent in which the meeting had been held, frantic at missing the evangelist. He decided to ask one of the workers what he could do to be saved. The worker, who was a Christian, responded, You can't do anything. It's too late. Horrified, the man said, What do you mean? How can it be too late? The work has already been accomplished, the worker told him. There's nothing you need to do but believe it. That's where the faith comes in. So giving charitable contributions, being a good person, helping your neighbor, being the member of the local church, being baptized, taking communion, and being obedient to the Ten Commandments, all are good and noble things, but they will not save you. They won't bring about the power of salvation. Salvation comes when we put our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So good works are vital. In fact, we need to do good works, and that's what verse 10 tells us here. Paul concludes with that, and so will we. Those with Christ are called to good works. Verse 10. For we are His workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're not saved by good works. We're saved for good works. Our good works are a result of our salvation experience. Our good works are a result of being going from being dead to being alive. So before we can do good works, before we can work for God, do good things for God, He has to do a good work in us. Paul says, for we are His workmanship. God did it. We didn't do it. We're His workmanship. We were created by God. We were redeemed by God. And it is God who who sanctifies us. That means we grow in Christ Jesus. And He fits us for His service for the good works that he's asked us to do so those good works that Paul talks about here are the characteristics of the one who has been created in Christ Jesus for those good works created in Christ Jesus it speaks of that intimate fellowship with Christ that intimate fellowship brought forth by the grace of God through our faith in God That's our salvation experience Paul talks about. So those good works are produced by our salvation. They're proof of our true salvation. You show me an individual that's working for God and doing those good things for God and and, and all those other things, and I'll show you a true Christian. I'll show you one who's been made alive in Jesus Christ. We've been set free from that bondage. We've been set free from, we're no longer dead, but we're alive in Christ. Philippians 2.13, Paul says this, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. It's God. It's God. It's God alone, church. God alone who provides for our salvation through Jesus Christ on that cross. And so our salvation, it's not based on works. Because again, if it was based on works, we would be able to boast about it. Hey, look what I did. Look what I did. Look at all the works that I've done for the Lord. 
But if you're relying on that for your salvation experience, I can assure you that when you stand before God and you say, Lord, I look what I prophesied for you or I, I shared uh, the gospel here or I, I did this and I did that. All those are good things. But God is going to say to you, depart from me. I never knew you. If you're relying on your works. However, the good works Christians do are the direct result of the consequences of God's new work of creation within us. Notice, our works are directly a result of what God has already done in our lives. And so as we close this morning, I want to ask you a question. Has God done his work in your life? What do you mean, preacher? What I mean is, has the salvation experience occurred in your life? Have you gone from being dead in your trespasses and sins to being alive with Christ? Well, how do I do that? By faith. Have you accepted Christ as personal Lord and Savior? Have you said yes to the Lord? Have you said, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that my sin, my very nature, separates me from a relationship with you. And because of my sin, there's this chasm. I'm over here and you're over here, God, and there's no way to get to it except through Jesus Christ. And so have you accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you repented of your sin and confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life? The Bible says you will be saved. So have you done that this morning? If you've done that this morning, then you're a portion of this passage right here. You've been saved by grace through faith. You've been saved by grace through faith. And we need to celebrate that and, and, and work for God. And we are His workmanship. And we need to do the good works that God has called us to do. But if you're here this morning and if you've never done that, I want to give us an opportunity. So I want the ladies to come and play for a little while again. I want to give us an opportunity to make those decisions this morning. I'm not going to draw it out like I did last week. I just don't feel God is directing me in that direction. But I want people to have the opportunity to make decisions for the Lord. Whatever that decision might be. But if you're here this morning and you've never made that profession of faith. Or you don't know if you have. I want to encourage you to talk to somebody. Talk to me. Talk to. I'll be down front here in a little while. You talk to me after service or whatever you need to do. But if you've not made that profession of faith, if you've not repented of your sin, if you've not told God, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that there is nothing I can do, but I know that you love me. And I know that because you love me, you're merciful upon me. You're not giving me what I deserve. And I know that because of your grace, your unmerited favor, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, your one and only son, to that cross. And on that cross, he shed his blood. And his shed blood has given me the opportunity to have my life forgiven. My sins forgiven. And not only that, has given me the opportunity to be seated in that heavenly place. To be raised up with Christ that's you this morning. Maybe you've not made that decision. Maybe you don't know if you've made that decision. But I would encourage you when we stand up here in a moment, I want to encourage you to just walk forward. As we talk about that. I'll pray with you. Pray at your seat. Pray, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I repent of my sins. I need a Savior. I need a Savior. Pray to Christ. Maybe you're here this morning, man, and you've made that decision. But you haven't been obedient to God. You haven't followed God in believer's baptism. Listen, that's part of it. That's part of our salvation experience is that when you accept Christ as personal Lord and Savior, baptism doesn't save you. Baptism gets you wet. What baptism does is it follows the obedience that God has called us to do. Jesus was baptized. It represents that outward confession of faith that says, Lord, yes, I've accepted you. 
And when you're baptized, your 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 sins are buried like Christ was buried. And you're when you raise up out of that water, the newness of life. So if you're here this morning and you've not been baptized, you know you're a Christian, you follow God, and you know, you, but you haven't been baptized. Listen, you can come down front, or you can talk to me after the service, and we can get that worked out. know maybe you're here this morning and you you feel like god is moving you in the direction of this church maybe you want to be a part of a a a body of christ which which god calls us to be god is moving you in that direction listen you can come down and we can talk about that as well i don't know what decisions god wants you to make that is between you and god but i want you to bow your head to me right now I want you to ask God, what decision, Lord, are you wanting me to make? What are you wanting me to do, Lord? What do you want from me, God? Lord, do do you you want me to be saved? Do I need to be saved, God? What, what, What do you need? Lord, I know that I'm a, I'm saved. I know that I'm a follower of, of you, but I'm just not doing the things that you want me to do. Listen, you don't have to come to this altar to be saved. You don't have to come to this altar to pray uh, that, that God forgive your sins. You can do that right where you are. want to be saved today, you also need to confess that to the Lord. And part of that confession is a public profession of faith. So whatever it be, whatever God is asking you to do this morning, I pray that you don't wait another day. Don't wait another second. Father God, we come to you as we close. But what a glorious day. What a glorious thing to know, Lord, that we or have gone from being dead to now being alive. What a glorious thing to know that we have gone from being enslaved to the to the transgressions and the trespasses and the sins and, and, and basically slaves of Satan to exalted the children of God. But what a great thing to know that we have gone from being children of wrath children of God. Lord, what another great thing to know that because we are children of God, Lord, you have, we are your workmanship. You have provided for us to do good works. Those things that you have called us to do, to be your witnesses, to be your verbal witness and your visible witness. Father, I pray for the souls in this room. And I pray for the decisions that may be made today. It may be made days after today, whatever those decisions might be, Lord, but I pray that they be made. Father, I thank you. It's in Jesus' holy name that I ask all these things. Amen. This time, if you would, just stand. We'll sing a few verses of Just As I Am. God's calling you to come.
again for listening today. We hope the word preached today would be used by God mightily as you go about your week. Again, if you would like more information about our church or would like more digital content, please feel free to check us out on the web at southsidenp.org. Have a blessed day and may God grant you grace this week to grow more into the likeness of Jesus.